there, Woo fans, and welcome back to another episode of Wrong Opinions Only with your host, Justin and Kayla. And this week we are here with a movie review podcast. And this week our theme was what, Kayla? With a problem. Yes, very general, very generic. But I think it's probably the first time since we've been doing this pod where we both gave each other really good movies that, that we, we ended up liking. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you're welcome, Kayla, because you finally gave me a decent one, and I've been giving you great ones uh, every single time. You know, that's time. up for interpretation. Um, I think you've been getting some gems, but okay. Let's before we get into our argument, let's talk about why do we like movies about people with problems and. <laughs> Specifically, what I mean by that is movies were like, you know, they're trying to solve something throughout the film because we wanted it to be specifically that it had to be the plot is that they were trying to solve the problem. It couldn't be like, you know, they forgot to pick up their car in one scene in the movie and that's it. You know, that had to be the main focus. Why do we like that? Why do we like someone struggling? Well, because you see the entire process, right? It's okay, there's a problem. How did they get to that point? Okay. Are they going to realize what the issue is? And then what are they going to do to fix this issue? So it's a, it's a whole process that usually the main character is going through to realize what's happening, how they're going to fix it. And then you either have the redemption arc of them succeeding or them falling flat on their faces. So there's always some type of ending in place. And I mean, most I would say before we started looking at this uh, theme, this person with a problem, I was like, every movie's got a person with a problem, right? But when you make it really the focal point of the movie, that does narrow it down a good amount. Yes. And yet also at the same time broadened it because we weren't, you know, genres sometimes can be like, okay, alien movies, uh, why can I only think of five? Yeah. This is like person with a problem. It allows you to cross genres that we haven't been able to do in a bit. So I think it was as much as you gave me shit when you picked it, or excuse me, I picked it last time. I think it ended up obviously being good because we got good movies. So movies that we picked that were uh, from the same year. (laughs) Yes. Which, yeah. Hilarious. Um, Do we have a preference for problems like specific types as in a supernatural problem, world ending? And then you have like, you know, a lot of movies in the 90s, early 2000s, like family, right? Family problems. I like personal solved. demon problems. Oh, okay. I think that's uh, the sci-fi, not really as much, but somebody that's overcoming an obstacle in their own life, I think is the most interesting to me. Same. I like yeah. emotional where, problems. Where the, <laughs> where the saps, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm the saps when watching things, not so much in my real life, but I just enjoy watching people kind of work that out in real time, so... We like people with problems. What can I say? Because we're humans and we have problems. So we like to watch it. Not me. Not Kayla. experience Speak for it. yourself. Yeah. Uh, no, I'd like to differ. Um, was there an era where these types of movies were more car- more common? I would say specific, like family, like thinking of the last 10 years, like I feel like in the 90s was all about like relationship or like where the main theme was relationships. And I feel like that's lessened a bit. Yeah. I don't think we get these types of movies now uh the problem movies we get now are there's a big bad guy how are the superheroes gonna save us yes you know it's not kind of the evolution or like a coming of age story or a family story and those ones that do come out they are not coming out in theaters on these big releases because they are a dime a dozen on netflix hulu all these streaming services where the quality's down you maybe don't have the top-notch actors you don't have the marketing so People aren't seeing them, even if they are done really right. well. So we're 
kind of a, a weird, I think, impasse here where movie theaters are starting to pick up steam. We love going to movie theaters. People are yes. always going to the theaters when we go. But there's only so many things in theaters nowadays. You get like a handful of things that you can see. Everything else is on streaming. And as I said last week, you got, uh, you know, Morbius trying to re-release Reading the Room badly and uh, failing. So, I mean, look at Top Gun. Uh, You know, that was a packed theater we haven't seen in a while. I mean, we've been having like free spots when we go to the movies together. And that one was pretty packed. So I think, and again, like it's a nostalgia film, but it's also a very action packed film. And so I just think that perhaps this nostalgia era we're in, we can go back to that. But I think right now it's all about like what's happening. Action, action, action. I am dying to maybe in a few years, we start doing remakes or nostalgic films from the 90s. So when we just start redoing 90s films, let's that get to that point. That is my prime. Yes. So I've seen a majority of my older movies have been the 90s films that I love. So as we'll touch on in this episode. So... Let's get right into it, because I'm ready to go into our movies. We've got a lot to discuss. Let's go. Okay, so, again, our theme is Person with a Problem, and I assigned Justin Saving Private Ryan, which is available on Netflix, and he assigned me Rounders, which is available on HBO Max or HBO, whatever you have. Let's talk about why we gave each other these films. Why did you give me Rounders? Well, number one, Rounders is an awesome film. I knew you hadn't seen it. Um, I've been kind of dying to to rewatch it lately. And when so you gave it to me for you. Well, I always like to rewatch the ones I give you. But when we said something with a problem, I was between Rounders and Moneyball. So I, w- I wanted something a little different, not like a typical okay solving a bad guy. And you got Matt Damon, you got Edward Norton. It's a great movie. They have a great episode on the rewatchables about it. And I know you love listening to the rewatchables. So that I do. that's right up your alley. And I wanted to give you something that I thought you would actually enjoy. And being Matt Damon in 1998, shortly after Goodwill Hunting, which is one of your favorite movies yes, of all it time. Is. I thought it fit your right up your alley. Even though it's poker, maybe you're not a big poker person, but the overall story is pretty on point. And the whole thing is resolving around him trying to solve the problem that pretty much is his friendship so yes yes that's true um okay i gave you saving private ryan because of all the many 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 military films i've seen that's probably one of my favorites it literally starts with an inherent problem that is throughout the film um and I just knew you'd like it. So I think this again this option opened it up a little bit where I could kind of pick Best of Both Worlds, a movie I loved and a movie I knew you'd really like. So, And I appreciate that because Saving Private Ryan is something I've seen scenes from, like mm-hmm. here and there, never watched it straight through, never really seen probably more than like a 15, 20-minute like spurt at a time. But it's so long that it's so intimidating to sit down and watch for the first time. Mm-hmm. you know. So I'm glad it's one you assigned me for the pod so that I was forced to sit down, watch it, and... And Tom Hanks is so good. Well, it's Tom Hanks, yeah. prime Tom Hanks yeah. time, oh, you yeah. know? So uh, I'll start us off. I want to talk about the film Rounders, which was directed by John Dahl, written by David Levian and Brian Koppelman. came out in 1998. We were both eight years old, depending on the month. And notable subject stars, you had Matt Damon, Edward Norton, John Turturro, John Malkovich, 
Um, it made had a budget of twelve million and made twenty two point nine million. So it made its money, doubled, a little double. Didn't do didn't a do great. Pretty big disappointment, but it wasn't one that was super marketed at the time. It wasn't mm-hmm. one of these big releases like a Saving Private Ryan. It didn't have like a Spielberg behind it, and I think it it kind of grew in value over time. I think this is one of the movies when it came out. Maybe it didn't have a lot of traction that as the years passed, people are like, oh, shit, have you seen Rounders? It kind of predated the poker boom that you had yep. right after in early 2000s. And so yeah, if this came out those... five years later, it probably would have did 10 yes. times the amount. I think it was a film that people just rediscovered. However, they did not rediscover and then rate it on Rotten Tomatoes because it somehow only had a 65% rating. Uh, for critics, 87 audience. Oh, okay. So... so. Still a little lower than I than I thought, but you know, um, 90s to the max that film. Receptions awards, there were none. Some fun and interesting facts. So, Rounders, the film is set in New York City, but all of the law school scenes were filmed around Rutgers Law School in Newark, New Jersey. Um, Nev Campbell turned down the role of Joe, who was like the girlfriend of Matt Damon's character, Mike. Um, not a big enough role for her at the time, or did she give a reason? This was off of Scream, so post Scream. Maybe the Too much short of amount role. of scenes wasn't yeah. you know enough to incentivize her, but would have loved to see it. Just saying, um, Worm was originally supposed to smoke, but Edward Norton refused. He's very anti-smoking. Yeah, that's actually come up in a couple films with him. Is that he refuses mm-hmm. to smoke on camera? Which like he's you don't completely appreciate. It. I guess having a hard line and sticking to it. I mean, in a poker movie, you assume everyone's smoking, but not him. Aren't and there Worm aren't there even to. references to him smoking? In the beginning of the film, he's playing in jail. For cigarettes, yeah. Yeah, but he says he doesn't. And they're like, you don't even smoke. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and ends up throwing them in the trash. Um, right before we see Worm released from jail, he shaves his goatee off. And that was the same goatee that Edward Norton was featured in American History X, which he had filmed months prior to the film. You also can notice that his hair is shorter than um, in the rest of the film. And that's because his hair was growing back after shaving it. Um a little effect there. These were like prime. We were getting these two actors in like very good moments in the 90s. Um, the fun fact between both of our films, and this might be a fact you have. Yeah. The second film in 1998 in which Oscar winner Matt Damon would work with either a former Best Actor winner nominee, um, and it was actually your film as well, Saving Private Ryan with two-time winner Tom Hanks. And, of course, his co-star Edward Norton was nominated in Primal Fear in 1996 and then would also get nominated for American History X. And they, Matt Damon and Edward Norton were both going for Primal Fear. That yeah. was like the big movie all the young actors wanted to get at the time in 96. Have you seen Primal Fear? Yeah. I have not. You haven't? Ooh, so. Okay, I'll keep that in mind for uh, <laughs> For what? What would, another what would be movie the theme review. for that? I, I think that could fit a couple different ones. Okay. Um it's a very interesting premise. I, I enjoyed it. I think it's what Richard Gere is the main guy there as well. All right. Uh, that's it for my fun facts. I can go on and on, but I need to get to this minute description of the plot line, which I don't know that I'm going to be under, but I'm going to try my best, especially with this cough that's still lingering a week later. So, you know, just trying to recover here. Just do better, Kayla. Okay. Okay. That's easy. Okay. Take I'm a swig of water. I'll uh, buff for you here for a second, and I'm going to give you a countdown. Three, two, one, go. 
Mike McDermott is a lawsuit who just wants to play poker. He plays against Russian mobster KGB and loses his entire 30 grand bankroll in a single hand study. Promises girlfriend to quit poker, focus on law school. Yeah, right. His mentor, jo- Joey Nish, offers to front him money to get him back in the game, but he says hard pass. Later, shout out to a friend Worm is released from prison. Mike is an honest player. Worm is a scammer. Mike sets him up with games on his credit because Worm is death, but he begins to tap Mike's name. Asshole. Now they both owe money, and Worm owes a pimp named Grandma LOL who. Um, who bought Worm's debt for 25000 Also works for KGB. Yikes. Joe breaks up with Mike when Mike has to play poker to clear his name, and they have five days to make fifteen grand. Mike puts the cleaner works up seven grand, but Worm can't stay away and cheats away in the game, causing them both to get their asses kicked, and money's taken back to zero. Worm decides to flee, but Mike stays. Mike asks Graham for more money. Nope. Asks Nish for more money, but he's turned down. He asks his law professor to impress with his poker skills game 10000 Mike challenges KGB to play heads up, no limit. Texas Holden, winner takes all. Mike beats KGB, wins 20000 wants to walk away, but KGB entices him to play again. Mike plays risky, but Rose KGB has towels. KGB starts getting upset and sloppy. Mike beats him, going all in, beats him with a nut straight. KGB throws a fit, but pays him in the end. He settles worth $50,000 credits. Law professor Sloan has original bankroll, drops out of law school, says goodbye to Joe, at least for Vegas to play in the World Series of Poker. One minute, three seconds. Not bad. Very well done. When I thought you were done, you went for another like 10 seconds there. Mm-hmm. You threw in a nut straight. I did. Uh, <laughs> so I did. I want to get detailed on the specific one he had. Yeah. Yeah. So when people listen to that, especially at one and a half times speed, they can really take it all in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gotcha. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> um, first few thoughts of this film. I love 90s films. So like as soon as I got like the, even the cinematography, the oh, yeah. color, the, the, you know, the style like I was in. The opening line, Kayla. Come on. No, that didn't catch your your eye. It's a great opening line. The problem, well, the problem I'll go into with the narration in the beginning is I don't know if you saw my memes I put on Twitter watching it. It was just a bunch of confused memes <laughs> because I respect that the movie doesn't try to help you understand the poker terms that are just being flat out from the beginning expressed. I was watching it like I, I have no clue what you're saying to me, and I play poker, but I'm watching like. What are you saying? Well, what the opening that? line, if you can't spot the sucker your first half hour at the table, then you are the sucker. No? I thought that was a great opening it's line. It's a great line. It's just like, it, it gets to me in a rewatch. If this was the second, third time, maybe I'd have more appreciation. But then it got into like such poker, so many poker terms and descriptions that I was like, what? Like, what? I'm so confused. <laughs> That's uh, definitely um, different perspectives for us because I literally have a, a note here. Good job at quickly explaining the game no, at the beginning no, of the movie. No, I disagree. It was not. <laughs> if you're not like a poker aficionado, I feel like half the things being said there, you had no clue what was happening. Okay. However, Fair when enough. I see the hands, like visually, easy to understand. And I will say when it was acted, like whether they're doing well or bad, if you had no understanding of poker, you would still kind of understand like whether it was good or bad. But that beginning narration, I was like, is this how it's going to be? Because I, I got to Google what is a nut straight? What is, <laughs> you know, no limit that, I mean, they explained the new limit, but like certain hands, I was like, no clue. Is that good? Is that bad? I guess I'll see what happens. <laughs> Do they lose chips? Um, generally throughout the whole film, I literally just sat there going, I love Matt Damon, Edward Norton in this film. And I just love them at this time. And they both went very differently as far as careers. But Edward Norton, like, American History X is one of my, definitely one of my top 10, maybe top five films. It's just like, it's, this is the time, I think, right after, well, actually, American History X was released a couple months later, but this was also before Fight Club. Yep. And it's just, he's so good. He's so good at playing Worm. You know, this asshole character who you have to, one, understand why Mike is defending him so much and why they have this childhood bond as friends and the shit they went through playing together, growing up together. 
But then also, like, you just get so pained when he does something that you're just like, why are you doing that? He's so good at that fine line. Even American History X, he's playing, like, the worst type of person, right? A neo-Nazi. And then you have to, like, sympathize at the end when he has this changeover in prison. Like, he's so good. at It's hard to do, I think, as an actor. It's probably very hard to... It's hard as an audience member to have that sympathy. You know, like we talked about last week with Star Wars with Reva. She you know, had this like villain arc and then it's like, you're trying to get the sympathy at the end. It doesn't work. Like with Edward Norton, like you have that, I think. And so I was just kind of in awe of just them being them acting as good as they act, like just appreciating them specifically in this time period. Yeah. It's a great time period. It's back when movie stars were just movie starring. Right. And both of the movies we assigned each other, this is movie stars just taking control of the screen and, you're so captivating you can't keep your eyes off of them and matt damon and edward norton a great yin and yang in that movie the way the play they play off of each other and they do a good job at the beginning of humanizing how uh why does mike feel so indebted to this guy because he took the fall didn't rat him out and allowed him to pursue his other dreams and he feels like he owes him such a debt for taking that yeah. that he will freaking get slapped in the face, money stolen from him, and keep going back because he thinks, okay, I knew this guy, we're best friends. I can get him to respect me. I'm the one person he respects, so it'll be fine. Until he eventually realizes, He's no. Burned by him quite, he a, quite a bunch of times. Um, I said for this film, we should describe for this theme, we should describe the problem the person faces in one sentence, right? We have to be able to do that. So for me, it's Mike has to pay back his debts to clear his name, essentially. Yeah. Like throughout the film, that's what he has to do. Whether he or he did it or, you know, it was kind of granted to him. Um, like I said, the poker lingo kind of had me at the beginning going like, am I only going to understand half this film? That's not the case, thankfully. Um some of the jokes definitely know age well, but it's a 90s film, so you don't expect it. But some of them, like, You're oh, You're going to see wow. that in all old films. They make yeah. a lot of, like, quite a few of them. Um, I got to say, let's talk about the Joe character, the girlfriend. In just the film, the idea that this film is real, she's just kind of, like... She's underwritten. She's, she's terrible. Yeah. Um, you don't sympathize with her. Again, this girlfriend, she only has a couple scenes... She is the one who's, they're both in law school together. And, you know, at the beginning of the film, Mike loses 30 grand and is like destitute, like worried about how he's even going to pay for law school. And he just goes, I'm done. Like he's, he's shaken from it. He's like, I'm done. And his girlfriend, Joe, who he lives with is like, okay, good. Like, let's focus on law school. But he loves poker. He keeps wanting to go back to the game. And she's every day. She's like, were you playing cards? Like, were you doing this? Like, she clearly is trouble. Like, they have some, you know, issues with that. I mean, he lost 30 grand again. And uh, then he plays lies to her. And then he, like, she leaves him, ends up leaving him because he's, like, right back in the game. And then at the end, you know, they have this moment where he's saying goodbye to her. And ugh, brutal. He's saying goodbye to her because he's going to the World Series of Poker after, you know, the drama that happens in the film. And he's like, there's nothing left for me here. And I'm like, I don't know how long they've been together, but I presume a bit of time because they live together. But who knows? You could be to someone and live together in a month. But I'll say a little while. And uh, I was like, ouch, you know, 
then he kind of asked her to do a favor for him by giving like this 10 grand he owes his professor. He's like, can you do this? I got to go. And I'm like, oh, and you're asking your ex for a favor. Okay. Is it also kind of a slap to the face to her saying like how much I won last night? Give this back to the professor. Yeah. Then he's like, because he's got to bounce. Then I even did a little writing in my head because she says something where she's like. Halo the writer. Yeah. You know, as they say. He goes, um, she goes, you know, you can like trust me. Um, in my head, I was like, oh, it'd be so good if she's like, or no, she's like, you know, you can count on me. And I was like, I wish you would have added like, I could just never count on you or something, you know, like a little bit like, I wish you, you fucked this up. You know, up. you could yeah. count on me like I couldn't count on you or something like that. Yeah, something like, like that. that. You yeah. know, I was just like, oh, I'm going to get him because he's he's high on life right now. Granted, he went through some shit, but still. Um, in reality, Port, I would feel bad for the girlfriend because I don't think she was in the wrong of like saying like this is my hard limit. Don't gamble since you lost thirty grand in a night. We can't keep doing this all of our lives. In the movie, you're like, dude's meant to play poker. Like, get out the way. You're you're like annoying. You don't really yeah, have. He's any like a presence. poker prodigy almost, right? It's not great acting. She's not very sympathetic. She's like, you know, common in nineties films. I feel like the the character that's like stopping the main character from doing stuff. He, it kind of, especially the female character. There's a lot of women whose main roles in movies, I think, are like, um, you know, just to stop the guy from doing something fun that you want to do as an audience. And his character in this film is, it kind of reminds me a little bit of his character in Goodwill Hunting, and it's around the same time, but with the reverse for the female um, love interest, right? Because in Goodwill Hunting, she is like striving to get him to do more. And I think that's what, because I mean, obviously, as you said, Google Hunty is like yeah. my number one. I got to go see about a girl is one of my favorite lines. I just think that's so romantic. And uh, I, yeah, it, I think not having that dynamic, like whether it's romantic with Matt Damon having like this strong female character like he had in Go to Hunting, or even just the dynamic between him and Worm, like more of that kind of connection they had other than this this feeling of like debt he owes worm for like being, you know, covering for him. And then like worm keeps fucking it up. And, and, you know, the friendship they have together. I wish I had a little more of that dinner. Cause goodwill hunting kind of hit all those things for yeah. me. Like asshole, Matt Damon, like good at what he does when he's yelling at the professor. Like, you know, I, what takes you forever to figure out I could do in my sleep, like just great zingers. And he has them here. I wanted a little more of that because I had seen it. Were they trying to make Kanish kind of the uh, the buddy you can go to that's going to keep you grounded? But there was no like Ben Affleck to his character, right? Because Ben yes. Affleck would never be the douchebag that Worm was to right. him. No, 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 you can't. So, have but you you can't really add an extra side character in because they need to focus on how their relationship is more important than yes. every other relationship. Yes. So it is kind of a tight balance, but I see what you're saying. Like yeah. having somebody else in there would have... To me, that would be like, you know, the chef's kiss of it all is having that. You know you know me. I need a little emotional tie-in. I need yeah. my little like something that brings the emotion in me in a film a bit. If there was um, just like a 30-second scene of nobody saying anything and just uh, slightly adjusting their eyes at each other, like you would have been all over oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, just nothing I love more than just gaze into each other's eyes. Yes. Um... So, I, I, you know, the Joe character got played a little dirty, but I don't think the actress was outstanding or anything. So, you know. They didn't you really have much chemistry in. in the few scenes they had no, anyway. Absolutely zero. Um, I do love the line, you can't lose what you don't put in the middle. It's just applicable for things in life, you know. Facts. Yeah. Um, the dog abuse scene between the kind of like grandma character 
who's this guy that like buys yeah. Worm's debt. Like essentially Worm owes this debt outside of prison that he has to kind of start playing poker. So he plays on credit on Mike's name, but then he, you know, creates kind of a tab in Mike. So then Mike has debt along with Worm. And then Grandma's this character that buys his debt. And then now Worm owns just him. And I feel like that was a way not to have like 15 guys Worm had to deal with. He just had to deal with the one guy. It was a smart, also works with the Russian yeah. mobster. Um, but they had this weird, like, dog abuse scene where, like, you don't see what happens to the dog. But I'm like, I just was writing in my notes, like, dog abuse, ouch. Like, we already get he's a bad There's guy. There's a weird scene. Yeah, he, like, just shoves his face down. It's like, if you don't teach him, they'll do whatever the hell they want. Like, weird character. Um, I got to say, the end scene, right? So, KGB, like, in the beginning of the film, he's... He's the one he loses the thirty grand too. Then you know you have like the the big climax where he's finally he's going against them because I don't were they gonna kill him? I don't know the true stakes. Like so they he um vouched for Worm, which was very stupid since Worm sucks. So Worm didn't pay back the debt. It's on both of them. And the way I got it is they're gonna start breaking limbs every like that's the thing like day. You don't yeah that was the thing back. like I was like. If anything, you'd be like, you have to, he's a mobster. I'd be like, you have to do some shit for me. Like, be a messenger. Like, do some criminal shit to earn it. Like, what is killing him or breaking his limbs going to do? He can't get you the money after that. Like, I just was like, what is, what is the true stakes here? Like, what was grandma going to do? Well, that's why I was a little confused at the end, especially when you focus on rewatches. Grandma's there watching kind of the end happen right where he's going back trying to get the money to pay off the debt to... grandma works for kgb yes. and that's the whole tie-in is like it's not just this guy he owes the money to but he's also the russian mobster so like you're really gonna get hurt it's not just and grandma is like somebody that knew mike and worm from back in the day yeah. he must have been like muscle for a bookie and he he's graduated to this bigger yeah. role since they've been so yeah so in that game. final like stakes where they're like you know mike's character goes to kgb and he's like let's do all or nothing let's play poker straight you know no scamming and see what comes of it and yeah like you said he's sitting right next to him grandma is seems... like this threatening presence that i liked because kgb at one point goes fit is sitting right next to you you know like as in like this guy that's gonna kill you is sitting right next to you as you play like that's intimidating but like grandma looks upset when mike starts winning but if mike he's getting his money if mike wins and he's getting his money if mike loses so yeah so mike wins in the end like he gets his yeah. money he gets his money Enough to pay back the debt and at least pay half of what he owes his professor. And he's like, the good, you know, the clean way, the easy way is just to, like, get out now, not keep gambling. But KGB kind of entices him, like, you want to play again or whatever. The accent, I can't believe you haven't even really mentioned John Malkovich's Russian accent. Oh, we'll get to is, it. We'll oh. get to it. Um, yeah. And so, like, he, yeah, like you're saying, he gets upset at the end when Mike, of course, ultimately wins um, pretty easily, in my opinion. Um, which is definitely a issue I have with that. And it was very anticlimactic to me, the scene between him and KGB, because it was like so easy. Like, well, he, the, yeah, the, the tipping point was once he figured out his tell with the Oreos, which he then tells him because like, he's like, I don't have like, time I, to do this. Yeah. And I'm like, I do. Yeah. These are the two people you, you owe money to. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, I didn't understand that at all. Um, and to me, it was really easy. Like, the Oreo thing, I knew that was tell the first time I see it, saw him in the scene. I'm like, oh, he has a weird Oreo thing. Like, clearly that's something. Like the most obvious tell correct, that there could correct. possibly be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. And then I just feel like he beat him so 
easily. Like, it just... I think it's meant to show his growth. He's not scared in that moment. Because at the beginning, he was like, screw this. I'm throwing everything all in. And then there's a moment where he thinks he has the better hand. And Teddy KGB is like goading him like he did in the beginning of the movie to like go in i know what you have but i have something better but you don't know that but he's smart enough to realize in real time and that's when he goes i'm laying down what was it i'm laying down a freaking flush draw or whatever is his cards were at that point he goes because i know that's not beating what you have right now and then that's when KGB goes, what the, how's he laying out the head? Oh, bullshit. he pitches a real fit. He's like knocking shit over. And I'm like, oh you, yeah. You never laid out the head. You raised with the head. Like he just is freaking out. Because good old uh, Matt Damon and what's his actual name? Uh, Mike McDermott. Yeah. Has figured it out and stupidly tells him that he's figured it out. I think he just wants to mess with them. I mean, he reveals to Kanish that he has... You know, he actually beat, like, a huge poker famous person. Yep. And that's why he, at the beginning of the film, bet that 30 grand because he was kind of riding off that high of, like, Johnny I beat Chan, a winner. Yeah. Yeah. Who is, like, a, a ver- like me as somebody who doesn't really play poker yeah. well, besides casually with, like, my dad and stuff. Like, I knew who that was. Yeah. Like, Johnny, uh, Johnny Chan, Phil Howmuth, Doyle Brunson, like, the big ones, especially during the poker boom of the 2000s, mm-hmm. are names I so, recognize, yeah. and they're mentioning it in the movie. So I, I made that connection. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. It was, it was, yeah, I just felt like, okay, listen, do I want to watch, like, good hand, bad hand, good hand, bad hand? Like, no, I understand that, like, pushing it through. It just felt like, yeah, he had that, like, this is why I did it, and, you know, because just being, like, you know, not giving him the money because he's like, oh, then you need two grand. Then you need more money. And it's just a loop. Like, I'm not helping you by giving you this money. Like, work it out yourself. I just was like, yeah, that was kind of easy. He just kind of, like, figured out his tell. Had he's a good hand. A little bit but, at first. And also, like, a Russian mobster being, like, a clean player where he's just, like, totally above board in this way. But, like, doing who knows what shady shit behind the scenes is well, also funny. But, like, the yeah. game of poker I respect. But, like, Well, I think know. it's... Number one, it's the ego, the cockiness. He thinks he's better than everybody at poker, Teddy KGB. And he's got all these other side, whatever he's doing for the Russian mob. And in order for people to come to his establishment and play, which I assume they're taking a cut of to play there in those big big payout games, you need to be a reputable spot. People aren't going to come if they know you're cheating. So I think it's one of those things where there's honor among thieves, right? Where it's like we are playing this underground, no-limits poker game game here for 50 grand you you beat me fair and square and that's the whole give him his money i can't do a russian accent you know you can do it just, it, <laughs> i watch a lot of yelena belova scenes because it was the whole like oh man he won and he freaks out and everybody's oh oh crap are we gonna have to kill this guy and that's the thing like halfway through like mike gets his money to pay him back which essentially is like he only has to pay him like the five grand that he can take after everything's paid and, like, entices him to, to go again. I, I don't know if it's, like... He goaded him in because he was like, hey, I'm paying you with your own money, so But this it's, is like, it's so weird where he, like, literally was like, you have five days to do this. And then he's just like, eh, but I care more about beating you. Like, just a classic 90s, like, the ends kind of make sense. And Also, male ego saying, happen. I can't let this guy leave my own establishment after he just owned me on the card table. I need him to come back so I have a chance to beat him because I have not realized that he is just a better player than me. But after he does come back, there is that one quick scene where he's like, 
oh, you should have walked away. You're feeling really shitty now, right? Because he's beating should have Mike. Walked away. Yeah, yeah. and then th- then that's when Mike does the I'm laying down this hand because I know you have me beat thing, and then everything switches. From I there. I watch Matt Damon like be the one who knows more than the other person he's talking to, who thinks they know the best all day and all night. So I, I enjoyed that, but I just felt like. Maybe it's because it was one-on-one versus, like, a table where you're like, oh, the, you know, I would have added to that dynamic versus, like, the back and forth. But I was a little like, oh, doesn't seem that hard once he had this aha moment. He just kind of, like, crushed him. Um, I guess it's a conf- confidence thing. Um, I, yeah, I just, I think, you know, for rounders, all star cast as far as the two main characters. I like the dynamic of Worm and Matt David. Like, as these guys where it's like, I... As much as he gets kind of screws him and to the point where Worm flees because he's like, I'm not messing with the Russian mob. We're not making this money. And when he screws up the game because he's um, Mike is like, listen, you get away oh, from the, me. I'm going to play clean yeah. and I'm going to try to get this 15 grand we, we both owe now. And, uh, you know, Worm can't help it, gets himself into the game that Mike's playing and then screws it up, gets busted. And Mike is dominating. Kicked. And it's like. Mike's like, hey, I'm I'm like like, 75% to our winnings. If you would have just stayed outside, I would have had this in two hours. Instead, you had to come in and be an asshole about it. And everyone, again, is so good at, like, someone where you'd be like, this guy is the absolute worst. Like, you should kick his ass. Where, you know, they have that basketball court scene where he's just, like, piss at him. But, like, clearly, like, they've been through some stuff together. So it's not as simple as, like, you're potentially getting me killed tomorrow, you know? It has to be something for him to work as hard as he does in five days. So... So, yeah, that's kind of my feelings on Rounders. You know, they've been talking about a sequel since this came out for 20 years. Listen, listen. Bill Simmons is pushing it. Every time he has Brian Koppelman or Adam uh, or Brian, David Levine. Is he a I big Rounders him, fan? Yeah. Huh? Bill Simmons? Oh, massive Rounders uh, okay. fan. So every time he has Brian Koppelman or David Levine on, he'll be like, so I have a plot for the sequel. Let's get this done. Or when he had Matt Damon on, he goes, okay, the Rounders sequel. Let's get this out there. He is with the movie. I'm torn on this nostalgia area where we keep going back to older things because the new things that we've had this year, like a station 11, like I, I think there's so many new stories to tell that I'm almost like, do we have to go back to this thing that was okay on its own? Like, do we have to have? Okay, it's great. Great on its own. Like, do we do we need a sequel? To this? I mean, listen, it kind of left him leaving to the world series of poker. I kind of want to. I don't know. I like it open ended. Like to me, he won. He went there. It was close, but he won in my mind. Do I right. want to find out that in a sequel? I feel like they would have him lose, so he has this like big moment. But in my head, he won. He left, and he won. And I, I like it better open-ended as well because it's he ends it with, hey, I'm going to the World Series of Poker. I may win. I may not. But I need to give it a shot. You know? It's like I had to go see about a game. you know, Basically, And I can yeah. appreciate that at the end. You know? It just says goodbye so, to poor Joe. So, so, yeah, it was a really good film. Again, like, great. I, I don't know that I would have seen that film before. Um, you know, it did make me want to like play more poker though, because it it's kind of fun. Poker yeah. is fun when we play. We play together in Vegas. It's fun. I or not it. Vegas? Where were we? Uh, at Craig's bachelor party. Yeah. So good old Sorley. That was fun. Yeah, I'm down. Let's get a little uh, weekly poker yeah, game going yeah. on top of the other seventy-three things. We yeah, did. we'll just fit it in in the five minutes we have between stuff. So, okay. How about uh, your film? Yeah, so I guess that means I am getting into Saving Private Ryan with the few minutes we have left in the podcast after you talked about Ryan. Thanks, Kayla. I appreciate that. 
All right, so Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan was directed by Steven Spielberg. Heard of him? Big fan. Uh, written by uh, Robert Rodat. Two hours, 49 minutes. Release date was July 24th, 1998. This is relevant because Matt Damon is in this movie, July 24th, 1998, release date. He was in Goodwill Hunting, January 1998. He was in Rounders, September 11th, 1998. So within a nine-month span, he comes out with three of potentially the best movies of the 21st century. Or 20th century because they were 98, right? Damn. Yeah. Well, it's the end of the century. Still three great movies within a 12-month span. And this is right when he is starting to just hit the mountaintop very early in his career. So super interesting that we pick movies from the same year, Kayla. Appreciate it. Different Oscar seasons, though. It's funny how it works out sometimes, yeah. It really is. They were different Oscar seasons, but same same actual calendar year. Rotten Tomatoes had a 93 for audience, or for critics, 95 for audience. The budget was $70 million. It made $485 million worldwide, so did what Steven Spielberg films do. It made a ton of money. Absolutely loaded cast. You had Tom Hanks as Captain Miller. Tom Sizemore was his Sergeant Horvath. Edward Burns, Adam Goldberg. Vin Diesel makes an appearance. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi. Uh, Matt Damon, obviously. Ted Danson makes an appearance. Paul Giamatti makes an appearance. It's just a ton of great actors throughout this film. Awards. It won a shit ton of awards. Just a shit yes. ton. It was nominated for 11 Academy Awards. It won five. It won for original or best makeup and hairstyling, best production design, film editing, um, sound editing, cinematography, best director. It was nominated for best picture, but lost to Shakespeare in Love, which is considered one of the biggest snubs in Oscars history. So it cleaned up most of these categories, won most of the best pictures from the Golden Globes, all the other uh, award shows, lost to Shakespeare in Love at the Oscars, and I think the Oscars is still annoyed at their own decision on this one. Shakespeare in Love, I'll put some respect on, but yeah, Saving Private Ryan was its own beast. Uh, Hanks was nominated for Best Actor. It was the same year Edward Norton was nominated for American History X, so some more synergy here. And they both lost to Robert Benigni for The Life for Life is Beautiful, who won. Which I don't even know what that is. I haven't seen it. I think it's a foreign film. I'm giving you dead shark eyes right now. Yeah. Like, that's just rude. How did that win? A couple of uh, fun facts here. Spielberg cast Matt Damon because he wanted an unknown all-American look to, to play uh, a Private Ryan. I am struggling right now. Maybe four <laughs> hours of podcast, Kayla. Um, Feels like it. But Goodwill Hunting was released before this, and Damon became an overnight star after Goodwill Hunting was released. So, bit of a back backfire there. Okay, yeah. He was the star in Goodwill Hunting, which came out before, and then he was the side character in this, which came out later. Um, and then in the movie, they do this thing where they're approaching an unknown area, and they say thunder, and they're waiting for the response of Flash from like friendly people to identify themselves. It was actually supposed to be the reverse. In the actual, you know, WW2 situation, the allies would... <laughs> when you said WW2, it just makes me think like WWE, like oh, SmackDown. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they were supposed to, the allies would call out Flash so that anybody that was a friendly in the area would respond with Thunder. The reason they did that is because no German words have the TH sound, so it would be pretty damn oh. hard for Smart. like the German soldiers to respond 
with thunder without having like a very obvious accent. But in the movie, they had it reversed. So I don't know if that was just an oversight or something. I can't. I don't want to believe Spielberg had an oversight like that. But right. But why, why not just reason. do it the other way? Maybe he just didn't like the way it sounded to be like, flash, thunder. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But I, I looked that up because I was wondering what the, the meaning of that was. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So as you said, this is this is a, a World War II movie. This is one of our military films. You've seen a lot. Uh, your dad served in the military. Yep. Uh, you know, my grandparents have. Um, you know, thanks to all those who have served, obviously. Just you watch these type of movies and the amount of respect you gain for people that had to go through this stuff, even if it's not, you know, a true true story it's like holy shit especially Someone has a similar story you know out there you know? yeah exactly even if this may not be super true there's something that like this that has happened like people had to go through these times especially back in the 40s during world war ii i'm self-conscious about saying ww2 anymore <laughs> you should <laughs> but it's just having to go through all that and they touch on this in the film and i won't get into it until after my one minute breakdown but these people are from all over the place, all different careers before they got there. And they were either drafted or they volunteered to help their country and were in a war for God knows how long, depending on when they were um, sent out. But just a lot of great, courageous people out there. So props to you guys. Are we ready to get into my one minute breakdown, Kayla? All right, Kayla, count me down. What do we got? Okay, three, two, one. One. Opens up on D-Day. Allies get fucked as they approach the Normandy beach. Limbs blown off. People on fire everywhere. Tom Hanks decides he needs to lead his crew to overtake the enemy foothold and somehow not die. They somehow succeed. Nobody knows really how. Other attacks not going nearly as planned. Um, He gets back to the camp, touches base with everybody else. They realize there are four brothers separated uh, for the attack so that they don't all die in one uh, coordinated attack. Didn't really go out as planned. Damn, three of those brothers die, so they want to find the fourth brother in order to save him, a.k.a. Private Ryan. So the military says, all right, we're going to send out a crew to go find him, uh, retrieve him somewhere in Normandy who may or may not be alive in some location we may or may not know about. Yeah, that sounds like finding freaking a needle in a stack of needles. Uh, They have to get the dorky interpreter who can't fight because you always need one of those on your team. And he asks if he could take his freaking typewriter with him. All right, dork. All right. they Oh, they go through. They find the wrong James Ryan because of course they do. A couple of the crew die. Captain Miller was a school teacher. Curveball. They finally find the real James Ryan, aka Matt Damon, but he refuses to leave his uh, crew behind. So they stay and they are outmanned, outgunned, but they fight and they make a plan to make a final stand while they wait for reinforcements against the German troops. Awesome battle ensues. Most people buy, die because uh, Upham, the dorky dude, sucks and basically is the result of a whole bunch of people dying. Captain Miller, on his last breath, tells James Ryan to earn it, earn this. Help arrives just in time. They get out of there. The Allies win the end. Okay. What did I do? Did you say Miller died? I didn't specifically oh. say that, but okay. I say okay. I, I said I mean, with that's his. That's the key commander. I said with his dying breath. Oh, with his dying breath. He, okay, okay. Tells James Not Ryan. bad. Minute twenty four seconds. A minute twenty four seconds. This is a two-hour and and 49-minute movie. I could not get into the details of that and try to keep it anywhere close to a minute. (laughs) A lot of shit went down. A lot of shit goes down. It was an awesome movie. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I watched it. I mean, just even the way it opens up where they're on the beach and you have Tom Hanks. He kind of looks scared, but you're not sure because he's in command. So you're like, what's going on as they approach the beach? I did some research, and they were uh, the Omaha Beach in that area, 
And they actually ended up reaching the beach a few miles away from where they were supposed to, which is why they were not super prepared for all of the barricades and the gunfire that was happening as they were approaching. That was like the most deadly of all the uh, the ground attacks was right. through the Omaha Beach. So as they're getting there, you see everybody getting just shot down and brutally burning alive, just guns everywhere. And Captain Miller, a.k.a. Tom Hanks, he is he's frazzled. He's kind of over the place. He loses his hearing. Yeah. He he can't focus. And the camera work they do with this, I found super cool because it's so frantic. It's kind of moving all over the place. It, it gives you more of that personal feel of like, what's going on over here? Oh, shit, something's over there. Oh, wait, where's my guy over there? Oh, there's an enemy over there. And you can't really figure out what's happening or if they're going to be able to get out of this and. It's like that for almost the first whole scene, which was like a 20-minute opening scene where they are just frantically trying to survive as best as they can. They somehow get enough troops up to overtake some of uh, the German forces, and then once they're kind of at safety there, they touch base with uh, other um, crews they meet up with and try to figure out where all the attacks are. Cause there was a whole bunch of coordinated attacks. D-Day, they had paratroopers going in. They were attacking by beach, by water, by land, everywhere. And nobody really knew where everybody else was. So they were like, okay, they're supposed to be taking this spot at this point, but we can't right. move forward until we know they took that. Cause we need that in order to take this, but they can't just call somebody on a cell phone and be like, what's going on here, brah? You know, so. Plus, you know, like uh, Lieutenant Dan over here, um, <laughs> you know, it might be like he's supposed to be this place. Yeah, he died on the way. Like there's just so many people dying that are trying to keep track of and just continue to the next place. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was pretty cool. You know, they finally get to Captain Miller picking his crew to go with him on this secret mission to save uh, Private James Ryan and. I don't know, man. It's a tough call. You go to save one guy because you don't want to send four letters home to one mother saying all four of your sons died today. We are sorry. And there was, uh, I believe it was one of the military or chief of command had a letter from Abraham Lincoln that he kept close to his desk. And when he was talking to the people on what their approach was going to be, he read that. He's like, we are not leaving him out there. We cannot send four letters to this grieving yeah. mother, we need to go after him. Even if they don't come back, even if he's dead, we need to try. And the whole crew is kind of at odds with this yeah. the whole time, especially Captain Miller, Tom Hanks. He gets his crew of eight guys and guys he trusts. He's like, all right, we can do this. He doesn't believe in what he's doing right now. And the crew definitely doesn't believe in it. It's like, we need to save this one freaking guy. We're fighting a war here. Like, how we're going to go try to save one guy when there's people dying all around us right now. This doesn't make any sense. And they kept uh, referencing the, the term foobar. Yeah. Foobar. So fucked up beyond all recognition or whatever the last R stands for. And that's, it's so true because if you're in that spot, you survive this initial onslaught. You're at this point, you're like, okay, we need to make a push. I want to get home safe to my yeah. family. And now you're telling me to go into enemy lines to retrieve one guy who may or may not be alive. And we don't even know where he landed with his paratroop. Like, what are we doing here? And there was so much resistance throughout. And they're looking to, to Miller to kind of, I guess, give them reinforcement. And he 
really can't. He's like, hey, th- these are our commands. They told me to do this. I'm telling you to do this. So let's do it. And the whole movie, they are trying to find out more information on him because he's very kind of quiet, it seems. He doesn't reveal information about himself. They're like, hey, there's a pool up to here. If you can figure out what he did for a living before he came here or where he's from, you win 300 bucks yeah. or whatever it is. So people are constantly, especially the new dorky guy, oh, hey, what'd you do? Where'd you go? And he's just like, whatever, man. What's the pool up to? I'm not telling you shit right now. Yeah, yeah. And he just kind of goes that that route for a while. And you're wondering the humanity in this because you get to a point where Vin Diesel dies. Well, thank goodness. Get him out of there. You know what I'm he saying? He didn't have his, his familiar with him. He didn't yeah. have his familiar. Well, he tried to save the little girl, which was stupid. Uh, let me just pick up this little girl, run into enemy firing lanes, whatever. And then he, they have this moment where they're staying in a church where they found some, some allies in like a safe house area. And he's talking to a sergeant about how, how he rationalizes it in his head. He's like, I rationalize, okay, I've lost, I think he says, 93 men. He goes, I lose one man to save 10, to save 20, to save 100. Like, you you have to rationalize that in your brain in order to feel good about what we're doing out here. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy that you are losing this many people, and what's it for? It's always for a bigger good, and that's where he gets hung up because he's like, but for this mission, this is we're losing men for one man. And at that point, it's we lost one, we're trying to save one. And they're going to eventually lose most of that crew, right? So he's lost all of these to save one guy. The film has so much action. Like you're very, you know, you're in the the dynamic of them going place to place, just trying to make it place to place. But also does a great job of showing kind of the mental warfare that happens, the the rationality that as a civilian, you're like, oh my God, how could you have that thinking but like what you have to do to get yourself prepared to do some of the worst things you can imagine that you'd have to do like killing another person or or even the other craziest things that happen in the movie you you do have to have this twisted thinking that in war is like the only way you're getting to the next spot you know and and for some people they can't let go of who they were before the war you know i feel like miller's so invested in this version of himself in the military that he is in yep. that he has to kind of let go of this teacher the softer version of himself yeah he's a completely it's, different he person has to have to that survive. cut off he doesn't want to think about it let alone tell other people because that's a version a safe protected version of himself and this is a different version than i think you don't he doesn't want to associate with that he wants to separate the two and for some of the people in the group they can't do that and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad you know you always want to be the person that's that you know is just uh, you know, what's that? Uh, Hawk, Hawk, was it Hawksaw Ridge? Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge. You know, we're just, I, I refuse to do any, you know, any harm in um, the realities of war. And I think this film does it so well. I mean, I got, did you get invested to some of the side characters beyond Tom Hanks? Like, were you attached uh, to kind of the group? Yeah, 100%. I think one of the best parts about this film is all the little conversations, like the in between conversations of, the, the guys just talking to each other like like they would in that spot where some are opening their hearts up because it's like, hey, I might not make it home. Some are just trying to loosen the mood and, and have these like just general conversations or talking about other uh, one guy's talking about some broad he knew back home. Yeah. And he's just like, think about these when you uh, and like points to her chest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's just those are, are the real fun 
conversations that humanize everybody and gets you to care about them. Yeah. Um, as far as like the people in the crew, it's you had Riven was kind of the one that was pushing back and forth with Miller. Jackson was the sniper who was kind of on his own. The medic Wade. He was probably the favorite. Everybody loved yeah. him. He's he's running around trying to help people left and right. And he ends up dying in a situation where Miller tells them, hey, we need to approach and take out this German, I think it was a few guys that were set up and were just taking out people as they hit this field near a radar tower. But they're like, he's like, we can't go around this. We need to take them out so we can protect people that are coming behind us. And this is where everybody on the crew goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're here to save one guy. You've been telling us our mission is to save one guy. In order to do that, we need to walk around. And he's like, no, well, we're also trying to win the war. And this is where he's like, okay, I'm trying to save more than one guy's life. I think that's where it's starting to click yeah. in his head. Like, if we can save more, we need to do that now to offset what we're going to lose, mm -hmm. especially if we don't find this guy. And that makes a big riff in the group because they capture one of the last guys and they don't immediately kill him. They make him dig the graves and do some other stuff, and they're they're getting ready to murder him. And finally, Upham, who is just being the dorky, annoying, dude, we can't do this. This is war. We need to live by rules. This is against the rules, and is begging them not to kill him. And eventually, Miller just goes, all right, blindfolds him and tells him to just walk, just leave. And you're just like, all right, you lost your crew here. One guy's getting ready to leave, Riven. And this is when everybody's at odds and getting ready to fight each other and shoot each other and they're threatening each other. This is when Miller is like, okay, guys, so what's the pool up to? 300? Okay, I'm a school teacher. And he, he starts to be vulnerable in that moment because I think he realizes that, hey, I am not a robot that is designed to go, come out here and kill people I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is a war, but I was a school teacher. I have a wife. I have a life back home and what's he, I think he says, I don't have the exact words written down, but you don't feel better after every kill you make, mm -hmm. you feel worse. Like this isn't something we need to do. We don't need to kill him in this moment. I don't think we need to. And let's, let's move on. And he shows some type of humanity there, which is a, a little odd because that same guy shows up later on mm -hmm. And kills the most entertaining. Uh, was it Mellish? I can't, yeah. Yeah, Mellish was, uh, yeah, Adam Goldberg. Just hilarious the whole time. He was probably my favorite one in the crew. And he gets killed hand-to-hand -hand with a freaking knife to the heart by the guy they let go. And because Upham had a panic attack and is crying on the stairs and not bringing him the bullets or helping him. Like, what the fuck, dude? You're in over your head? Don't either help or go run in a different direction, like just sitting there. And then the German officer walks right past him on the stairs and looks at him. And then they both acknowledge that they know each other because Upham's the one who saved this guy's life. And this guy who he just saved just murdered one of his friends. So it's just the mental gymnastics you have yeah. to be playing in that moment, especially for this guy who's trying to show humanity and then... It backfired on him. To me, it reminded me of like, and listen, Steven Spielberg, you know, what a, what a guy. He might he might get somewhere someday. Um, <laughs> you know, that uh, another film, Fury, that we covered on the yeah. podcast. Similar you know, vibe. you had a similar situation where there was a German soldier who sees kind of the last surviving American and could have absolutely called out, hey, there's another one and killed him. And in that moment, having had no words to to each other decides to just ignore him 
and let him live. And that's like the the other side of it, right? Whereas these two people who don't know each other and should hate each other, like having a human moment, you have the reversal in the Steven Spielberg movie where it's like it backfired, right? You, yeah. you assume like he goes off and goes, you know what? Eh, Nazi is not for me and leaves. Uh, but that's not the case, right? Um, and it just... This movie really listens to Spielberg's famous for getting to the motions, you know. So I like so many of his films, but brutal. It's a, it can be a brutal movie to watch in some parts. Yeah, it really it is tough. But like once I was watching, I was like, I need to watch this full th- through. I can't stop at yeah. any point. And when they start searching for the original James Ryan, they find the first guy, mm-hmm. right, whose name is James F. Ryan. And I was like, wait, this happened way too quick. Like, what's gonna happen? Something bad on their way back? Because their whole thing is, if we bring him back. We get to go home. Like, we're done. We we uh, have earned our spot to go home. We have saved him. We got through our portion of what we need to do here. And then they're like, oh, your brothers have died. It's like, oh, which ones? It's like, all of them. It's like, how? He's in grammar school. And they're like, oh, shit. And the guy's crying. And so like, are, are we sure they're not dead? Because they've realized yeah. they've talked to the wrong James Ryan. Uh, just coincidence. There's a ah, pretty common name, I guess. Yeah, Two okay. James Ryans there. And he's crying. He's like, I want to go home. I want, oh, no. Like, he's so yeah. sad. And all these guys are like, oh, fuck. We're going to save this guy. And then they keep going on. And I think they gained a level of respect when they meet the real James Francis Ryan from Iowa, which is Matt Damon. Because yes. he's like, hey, we need to bring you back. And he's like, I can't go back. I can't I can't leave my guys here. Like, I would never do that. Like, the complete opposite of the other. Does he say, like, these are my brothers, too? Like, Yeah, yeah. Crew, That's because right? you're... They basically say, hey, your three brothers have died. And he's like kind of shedding a tear. And he's like, these are my brothers now. These are the only brothers I have left, yeah. I think is the term. <laughs> I can't leave them. He's like, what do you want me to tell your mother? He's like, you tell my mother that I stayed here with the only brothers I have left. And I would not leave their side because I need like, and he, yeah. he gives kind of this he's speech. And that speech and willingness to stick by them, even with the shit hand he's been dealt of his three brothers dying pretty much on the same day the rest of the guys in the group are like all right i got some respect for this guy he's gonna fight it out let's let's give this a chance and it talks miller into staying with him because they were out man down there they didn't have a lot of guys to help so they had to come up with some creative strategy and they tried their best but you know there were a whole bunch of tanks and there were like a dozen dudes yep so there's not much more you can do they had some good uh good plans and at the end the whole point was we need to protect this bridge as long as we can so they can't get back here to get to where the allied forces are and if they start overrunning us we need to blow up the bridge the whole premise there and you have captain miller sitting on the bridge last breath getting they don't ever they don't blow it up do they because they get the uh they get the reinforcements air support in just in time yeah but not in time for not in time to save pretty much anybody's lives. Yeah. I think Riven survived. Uh, obviously, um, what's his face survived. Uh, Ryan, Private Ryan, and that was pretty much it. Everybody else <laughs> dies yeah. there brutally. Like- brutally dies, and till the last breath, they're fighting, uh, doing their best, except for Upham, who who is the one who captures yeah. the enemies. And I was like, really, they just gave up that easy. To this little pick squeak, they could have just, you know, bum rushed him and took his gun yeah. from him. Like that was, and then he kills. I forgot about that for a second. He kills the guy he saved. Yes. Because 
he's like, oh, up him. Like, tries to kind of be, oh, this guy's not going to do shit. And then he just shoots him. And you're like, okay, dude. What, you just changed there? You waited until the very end when they weren't fighting back at you and you had them surrender? Yeah. Like, kind of a messed up situation. But I really, I really did enjoy the movie. Uh, it was it was a good one to watch. I'm glad I watched it. Tom Hanks, absolutely magnificent in it. I think the crew had a good melding of characters. You had the kind of funny guy. You got the serious guy. You got the guy who's, uh, you know, basically praying every time he shoots through the sniper. And then you got the guy who pushes back against authority and the right-hand man. Good cast of, like, different yeah. characters. It's a good cast of different characters and how they all work together. And definitely a good uh, a good recommendation this week, Kayla. So I okay, appreciate it. Okay, nailed it. it. Yep. Okay. Um, before we leave off, summarize what was the problem in the film in a sentence? Like if you just had to simplify it to a sentence. Oh, man. Um, The problem is they needed to go behind enemy lines to save one private. Yeah. I guess. Not not a very easy task, especially when there's a massive war happening in uh, Normandy and it's the last stand for the Allied forces to fight off that damn Hitler, you know? NBD. NBD. Um, okay, shall we get to our ratings? Sure, Kayla. Okay, what are you giving Saving Private Ryan out of six VHS tapes? I'm going to give it five VHS tapes. Okay. Very good. What would have got it to six? You know, it was it was very long. Uh, and and I was Shorter. trying to think, is there something I could cut from it to, to get it to a six if it was a little lighter? And I don't really know if there's anything I could cut. So the length is what brought you down? It's just too long? A little bit, but watching it, it didn't... Yeah, I don't know. I, at one point, I was like, all right. Oh, yeah, we're halfway through it. Got we're an hour, an hour and a half yeah. in. So I think it brought it down a little bit. Upham's character, I would have liked to see more... Like him come into his own a little bit more. He was just a kind of a dweeb and annoying the whole... I, I yeah. couldn't stand his character. His character bothered me. Like I was yeah. rooting against him. I was like, kill him. And he was part of the good guys. So that brought it down just a hair, but it was, it was close. Just a solid VHS tape yeah. <laughs> in our lineup. I would give it a five and a half if we okay. could, but five. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I'm also going to give Rounders five out of six okay, VHS tapes. Okay, there we go. The difference between a five and a six for me, like I said, is I need that like a little more emotional tie-in for me to really latch on. I thought that the final um, poker game was a little, you know, didn't have enough oomph for me. And Joe was just, you know, useless. So, uh, in the concept of the movie, no so. real uh, big female characters across either one of our movies. Which huh? you know, I don't know if you know, it's kind of a highlight for me. So, a bit of a bummer there. <laughs> so, I did that brought was it there down. So. A woman in my movie besides uh, at the end, and I think the very beginning where you have uh, Private Ryan like is at the burial ground and yeah, the women were the back in the U.S. working yeah. male-dominated jobs. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> yep. Um, okay. Let's get to our Swirly of the Week. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're right. We need we to... We're going to pick our next movie, and it's your turn to pick. Uh, this one is not right. This one is the one that fell out of oh, the hat. Oh, one just fell out of a hat. Oh, Roman. Roman slash Greek times. All right, let's... Wow. Well, these... Justin, like, keep I, the I... picks of the hat. Unless fate is choosing for you. <laughs> All right, I got it. What do you think, Kayla? We're going to get like a black and white or something Probably. Right? We did too well this week. Can I put it back and take another nope, one? Nope biography <laughs> um, um okay get uh, ready for our store fest next month <laughs> biography um quick while we're on the pod does it based on a 
like somebody's life or what are we doing? It here? has to be a film based on a real person. And so it's not like, a documentary, a legitimate film based on their life. You huh. know what I mean? It's it's kind of a weird um, ground where I've watched I a lot of like documentaries. I do one that's not a documentary. Okay. Yeah. Good distinction. Still plenty out there. Um, you know, obviously Alien, Alien versus Predator yes, yeah. yep. biographies. Yep. yep. Nailed it. All right. So now let's get into our Swarly of the Week. Okay, so our Swarleys of the Week, Kayla. I'll start us off here. You ready? Sure. The name Gary. Gary's are my Swarly of the Week. Okay, my follow-up is, yep. is there a particular Gary that drew the uh, annoyance for all Gary's? Or No, the, the name Gary oh. is endangered. There were only 252 oh. new new Garys in the U.S. in That's 2021. That's a great lead up. Huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> and <laughs> Garys... Like, they're endangered? They're the endangered. <laughs> they're endangered. Gary, that was really no. loud, Kayla. Um, I'm shocked. So only 252 new Garys in the U.S. in <laughs> oh my uh, God, 2021. Garys. What's happening, Garys? It hit its peak in the 1940s after the film star Gary Cooper and has been on a slow decline ever since. And now we're at the bottom of the Gary life cycle. Okay, now I have to ask you a question. Do you personally know Gary? Uh, somebody I personally know. I know there's Gary Vanderchuk, like an investor. Uh, no, like you there. personally in your actual life. Do you know huh. Gary? Poof. I don't think I know a Gary. Uh, yeah, they're doomed. Gary's are doomed. If I know a Gary, it'd probably have to be a Gary my mom or grandma knows, huh? Yeah. I don't know a Gary either. So this is accurate. Gary's are going down. Wow, Gary's. Um, you need to get your shit together, Gary's. There needs to be a new Gary character. Okay, will you name your future kid Gary to save all the Gary's? No, no, no. I can't, I can't risk that. You can't that, commit no. to a Gary? I just looked through my contacts. I do not have a single Gary you in my contacts. You could save Gary's right now if you commit to Gary's. I could get them to 253 next year. They need you. You're right. The, Gary, <laughs> the Gary's are endangered. We need to create a, some type of benefit for the Gary's. We need to make a... I wonder if we can get all the big musical stars do a big telethon in order Don't to raise up. awareness for Gary's. Okay. Like a benefit for Gary's. A, a Gary benefit, benefit for Gary's. Yes, exactly. All I think of is Parks and Rec where they call Jerry Gary. And maybe <laughs> that's what ruined the Gary's. <laughs> Could it's a good be. chance. Yeah. Could yeah. be. Okay. That's a good one. Um I don't know how the hell you found that, but that's good to know. Sorry, Gary. Um, we'd love to meet you, but there's not a lot of you out there. Um, my story of the week is going to be Justin Timberlake, who is also not a Gary. Um, he's been <laughs> trending lately because he was in D.C., and there was a viral clip of him, and he is saying the words, D.C., beat your feet, which is actually a... Uh, like a DC dance style, dance style, excuse me, that was popular in DC in like the go-go scene. Like it's a DC thing. And then he starts to do his dance and it is the worst dance of dances. I mean, it's terrible. His feet are going in the wrong directions. I thought it, Timberlake's it, a good dancer. No, 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 no. Not if you're just looking at this clip. I mean, it's bad. He's like, beat your feet. And then it's just the worst, worst dance moves ever. It's trending everywhere. People are making fun of it. It's hilarious. Um, it's so bad that he actually ended up apologizing in like a funny way. He's like, uh, DC, I want to apologize to you for two reasons here and here. And he points to his feet <laughs> and he's just like, I had a long talk with both of them. Don't you ever do that to me again? And he goes, maybe it was the khakis. It was a real khaki vibe. I mean, you got to watch this clip because I'll show you. After. You have to send it to me. It was I'll bad. Check it, out. it was bad. So Justin Dipperlake, 
Justin's? Okay, no, just, no, one no. Justin. just one Justin. Is everybody now going to be referred to as not a Gary? Oh, hey, Kayla, you're not a Gary. No. I'm not maybe, a Gary. Maybe that's how so... we get Gary back into the ether, you know? All right, you start it. Let me know how that track right, goes. I will, I will. Then we might know Gary. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> We're all Ho- Garys, you know? Hopefully someday I'll, I'll know a Gary. Um, what do we have for our friendship question of the week, Okay, Kayla? so our friendship question of the week is, what is something you would never give up? And I'm going to exclude people in your life because that's too easy. I can't so say you can't wife. say your wife. No. Damn. Sorry, Chip. Uh, you go first. Coffee. Oh, okay. I did have a brief spell where I was like, I know, you know my love of creamer. I am famous for it. And I was like on a sugar-free kick and as you drink and it's disgusting. And it made my coffee experience terrible. Like I truly <laughs> did not enjoy my coffee. Every morning I was like just grimacing. But I still drank it because I love coffee. Um, I don't think I can give up coffee. Okay, coffee. That'd be real hard for I me. I thought you were going to say like books. But... Well, yeah. But well, coffee... no, no. You said coffee. Coffee's more important than books. I... No, no, no. That's no, what effort. you said. That's what I heard. What um, is something you would never give up? Coffee for me. Um, can I say sports fandom? Sports fandom. So you never I don't give think up. I like could. Being, a fan, of, being yeah. a fan of sports. Yeah, I don't think okay. I could ever give up like getting invested in watching my favorite yeah. sports teams. Watching sports, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't give that up. I, it doesn't matter how old I get, I'll be watching the games and I'll probably be angrily. Dang, I'm really screaming. rooting for that, so I guess I can't look forward to that. Well, thanks a lot, Kayla. No problem. Just so boring sports, mostly. Not poker. Not poker. Not people when they punch each other in the face. Oh, yeah. And, Re- the uh, real not sports. Not when they kick a soccer ball on the field. But other than that, boring, boring, boring. Um, okay, good one. I think that's it for us this week. We chatted a lot about two great films, Rounders and Saving Private Ryan. So go check them out, Netflix and HBO Max. And we'll see you next week. Well, that's it for this episode of Wrong Opinions Only. Please follow us on Instagram at Wrong Opinions Only and on Twitter at Wrong Opinions JK, where we'll be dropping some clues and hints to upcoming episodes. Until then, JK out.